Today is recognized as the International Day of Prayer for the Persecuted Church. We have problems. We just had some technical issues. And these are problems we just overcome and move right on. But there are places in the world where followers of Jesus Christ, they have problems that are a little beyond uh, a presentation screen and some lights. I want to share with you very briefly from an email that came from a uh, someone that we pray for here in this church, Moses, who is in India. If you've not heard much about it, India has become very oppressive towards religious minorities and, in fact, has in many ways uh, become very violent towards religious minorities, including uh, Christians and churches, where the government pretty much turns a, a blind eye to it all. So I just want you to hear a little bit of this, and we want to pray not only for Moses and the church, but we want to, we want to pray more broadly for those who are being persecuted, our brothers and sisters throughout the world. This was a, an email that he had uh, sent to uh, Ann Meadows, and again, I'll, I will share some excerpts. He also sent a newspaper article from the Times of India, just a picture of that, to kind of validate what we read here. Uh, he says that my home church was getting threatened from radical Hindu extremist groups since uh, a long time, and the church had already been informed uh, that had already, I'm, I'm going to have to adjust it as I go along for the English, had already informed the local police station about it. So last Sunday, when worship was going on in the church, about 250 people entered the church with iron rods and started to beat everyone, even the women and young girls. They snatched their hairs and they beat them. Five people were injured very badly, and one young brother, who's about 22 years old, he was uh, hit on the head by the iron rod. And he's in the hospital, and at the, that, that time he was still bleeding. Uh, they destroyed cell phones, uh, took money and bank ATM cards, so they looted them as well, and the police at that time had not arrested anyone. And as actually a false charge has been filed against 11 members of the church, and they have issued non-bailable warrants. The fact that it made the newspaper in the Times of India is itself kind of staggering, but I think it does show the climate where even, even those in India recognize that this is, this is not a good thing. But as brothers and sisters of Christ to these and so many others, whether they be in India or in Afghanistan or in North Korea or wherever they may be, uh, we're called to pray. And in fact, when you ask those who are facing persecution, when you ask them what it is that they want us to pray for, it is rare that they will say, pray that the persecution will end. What they typically say is pray that we will be strong in the face of the persecution, that we will not lose faith. And so if you join your hearts with me, 
Let's pray that now. Heavenly Father, we have read just one instance of an attack that is a small representation of what is taking place in many countries in our world today. For people who have committed themselves to Jesus Christ, who identify with Jesus, are being abused and attacked simply because of their faith. And so, Lord, we ask today that you would strengthen our brothers and sisters to endure and that the blood that they shed on behalf of Jesus, Lord, that it might turn hearts and minds to you. That there, there may be a great stirring among people as your Holy Spirit prompts their hearts, not only to reject the persecution, but to see the strength and the peace of those being persecuted. That you, God, might change hearts and change minds so that the persecution does not end simply because people have gotten weary of the beatings but that the persecution ends because so many have come to faith in Jesus. We pray, Lord, a huge prayer this morning that you might bring a worldwide revival. As you protect our brothers and sisters in Christ, may they be found faithful in their lives and in their witness for Jesus. We lift up Moses and so many others like him. And we thank you, Father, for faithful servants in hard places. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we had the opportunity to celebrate baptism and we remembered this beautiful symbol represents for us a cleansing not an outward cleansing but a cleansing that has been done through the blood of Jesus Christ that purifies us washes us clean from all our sins a symbol that we now belong to a family to God's family that we are a part, we have entered into this congregation of the faithful. Now, as we finish the service today, as you exit, it's an opportunity for you to, to give towards our benevolence offering that meets the needs here in our church family and more broadly in our community. It is for us an expression of love and generosity and a reflection of what we believe about the heart of God. Between these two, between baptism and the giving of this offering, we celebrate communion. That's why we're here at this table today. That's why we take of the bread and why we take of the cup. We come to remember. We come to rejoice. And we come to give thanks. And we do not do this alone. We get to do this together. Another expression of our faith, our unity in Christ 
and being part of the family of God. Recognizing that we not only belong to Jesus, but we belong, as Scripture tells us, to one another. That we are at peace with God through Jesus, but we also have peace in our relationship with our brothers and sisters through that same work of Jesus. And so as we ponder those, before we take of the bread and the cup, I want us to to turn our attention to God's word this morning. And if you've been with us, you know we've been in the book of Acts. And so we are going to continue in that this morning, but with just a few verses in Acts chapter 11. If you've got your Bibles, I invite you to open up there, Acts chapter 11, beginning with verse 27. And uh, we're just going to read 27 uh, 27 to 30 this morning. But as we do this, I pray God will will speak to us and weave all of this we're experiencing together. Acts chapter 11, verses 12 through 30. Excuse me, 27 through 30. Where did 12 come from? All right. Evidently, that's not just technical difficulties. There's some wiring stuff going on here. Verse 27, now in these days, prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch. Let me just stop right here real quick because this, this is something in Scripture that is, is different. If you look at a map, we usually think of up as north, right? Up north. But if you look at a map, Jerusalem is well south of Antioch. But it said they went down from Jerusalem. This is something you'll see throughout Scripture. You always go down from Jerusalem. Because that was, that's the city of God. You always, you'll see it as you read through, look for this. You go down from Jerusalem, no matter where you're going. You could be going up to the top of a mountain, but you always go down from Jerusalem. All right. Verse 28. And one of them named Agabus stood up and foretold by the Spirit that there would be a great famine over all the land. This took place in the days of Claudius. So the disciples determined everyone, according to his ability, to send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so, sending it to the elders by the hand of Barnabas and Saul. So what do we have here? We have a prophet who comes from Jerusalem, a prophet named Agabus. Um, I'm going to send that as a suggestion for the name of my grandson. I don't think it'll fly. Now, we're going to meet Agabus a little bit later in Acts. But otherwise, those are the only two occasions where we read of him. So this Agabus comes from Jerusalem to Antioch with a message from God. And the message was there's going to be a severe famine in all the land. All the known world is going to experience this famine. And we are told that this happened in the time of Claudius. Now, famines sometimes were localized. It would be that a certain area was hit by drought or a certain area was hit by, by locusts or something else, and it, it wiped out the crops. But there were times when it would be worldwide, that is, the, all over the whole known world. And we see a few of those as we read through the pages of Scripture. This is one of those And there is historical evidence in both the writings of the Jewish historian Josephus. Okay, and uh, that might be him calling right now. And 
and the Roman historian Tacitus, uh, Suetonius, excuse me. Those two write about this great famine. Now, in a famine like this, it wouldn't be that food was completely unavailable. There would be some food available, some stores that would be available that they could draw from. It's just that what happens when there's a, a shortage of something? The price goes through the roof. Inflation hits. If, you, if it's a limited supply, the price goes up. And so there would be food available, but only to those who could afford it. So the poorest of the poor would not be able to purchase this food and oftentimes would lead, lead to mass starvation. So the situation you have in the city of Jerusalem, let's remember what has happened. In Jerusalem, a great persecution broke out. And this persecution was because these Jewish families began to trust in Jesus. And when they did, many times their families disowned them. If they ran businesses, people would quit shopping at their businesses. They would be mistreated and abused and, and cheated oftentimes. And so you had the level of poverty among the Christians in Jerusalem was, was just continuing to increase and so this word came to the church in Antioch. So here, and, and, and here's the deal. It says, we saw this right here. The disciples determined that everyone according to his ability, that is, not everybody gave him the same amount, but according to their ability, they would send relief to the brothers living in Judea, and they did so. This is, you know, here's good. This is good for us to recognize. Sometimes you determine to do something and it doesn't get done. Anybody ever done that? Yep, yep, I'm going to do that. I'm going to do that. But you never get around to it. Here we're told not only were their hearts moved, not only did they make this decision, but they followed through with the decision. They went ahead and took that next step and they collected an offering based on the word that Agabus had brought to them about this great famine was going to take place they took a step of faith to say if this is true then we know that our brothers and sisters in Jerusalem are going to be hit hardest and we need to send money to them so that they can buy food when the famine strikes and so the offering was collected and it was sent back in the care and the trust of two people Barnabas whom we've met Barnabas, everybody would trust him, right? If you had a civic group and Barnabas was a member, you'd want him to be the treasurer. If you could trust anybody, it was going to be Barnabas. And so Barnabas was entrusted with this, but also someone else, someone by the name of Saul. Now, if you've been with us at all or you know anything about the book of Acts, you know that this Saul began as a persecutor of the church. He was one of those who was out to squash the church and to punish those who'd made decisions for Jesus Christ and was even the one who oversaw the stoning of at least Stephen. We don't know if there were others that might have happened. And so we kind of get a flavor that this Saul, even when he became a Christian and went to Jerusalem and met with, with Peter, that he wasn't really trusted. I mean, Barnabas put a lot of trust in him, but nobody else really trusted him. But... The church in Antioch says, we're going to entrust both Barnabas and Saul with this collection, probably a sacrificial giving that they did to take back to Jerusalem. 
And the neat thing is, this one-time persecutor of the church, this one-time persecutor of the church would now carry the funds that would save the lives of many in that same church. The hand that once brought destruction was now going to bring deliverance. We read over this sometimes, and we simply do not get the gravity of grace. Because you would not have picked Saul, not just to carry the offering. You would not have picked him to receive salvation. You would say, no, 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 no. You don't understand. You can have anybody else, just not him. Not Saul. Not this guy who killed our friend and brother. Not this guy who's run us out of town, seriously? Saul? And yet that's precisely what they did. Now, why do I bring this text to you this morning? I bring it, number one, because it was next in line, right? We're going through the book of Acts. And wow, what do you know? It falls, happens to fall on this Sunday. It's amazing how that works. But it's more than it just was part of my preaching schedule. It is a reminder that we have a God who expressed his love by giving. John 3.16, we all know it, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. God so loved that he gave sacrificially you see i believe that when i began planning these messages in january that god knew that on this day we would not only be celebrating the lord's supper we would not only be celebrating baptism but that we would also be giving the benevolence offering a gift from our hearts an expression of our love towards others it is this gift that we celebrate in baptism the gift of grace it is this gift that we celebrate at this table the gift of grace it is this gift that we celebrate when we share a portion of what god's entrusted to us with others in need you see the gospel not only gives us the promise of life in heaven and that's awesome it also gives us a new heart, and a new life right now. And in that new life, and with that new heart, we begin to respond to others with grace and with mercy and with generosity. We cease to cling so tightly to things that are temporary and begin to open our hands to not only receive what God has for us, but to freely meet the needs of others in Christ. If you've experienced a genuine transformation, if you've come to know the grace of God in Jesus Christ, then you know it is more than simply a, a change in your church membership. It is more than simply having your name put on a church roll. It is more than just getting wet and eating a little bit of bread and drinking a little bit of juice. 
It is that God has now entered into your life. And not because you deserved it, because you don't. And not because you've earned it, because you have not. There's absolutely nothing you brought with you that would make God say, yep, got to save that one. It is purely by grace. You are saved by grace through faith. And this is not something you do yourself. It is the gift of God so that not one of us will stand before him on that day and boast. Because the only thing we bring to our salvation was a sin that makes it necessary. And that's what we celebrate in baptism. And that's what we celebrate at the Lord's table. And from the outflow of that, we become people who are less tied to the material. Because we have another kingdom. We're citizens of another kingdom. And the things of this earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Let us prepare our hearts now to receive the Lord's Supper. In front of you or on your seat, you should have found a little cup. Now, depending on which one you got... Uh, some of them have a top and a bottom. Please know if yours has a top and a bottom, uh, you have one set of instructions. Some only have a top, right? And so on the ones that only have the top, there's a little thin piece of cellophane on the top. And if you peel that back, you'll reveal the bread. On the other one that has the top and the bottom, make sure that you don't open the cup part, the juice part, and then turn it upside down to get the bread, okay? Open the bread part first. And we will, once you've gotten that, we will proceed, but let's hear the word of the Lord. For I received from the Lord what I also delivered to you, and please know these words were written by the persecutor Saul, whom we now know as the Apostle Paul. That the Lord Jesus on the night when he was betrayed took bread. And when he'd given thanks, he broke it and he said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And in the same way, he also took the cup after supper, saying, This cup is a new covenant in my blood. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat of this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus broke the bread and when he gave it to each of his disciples he said this is my body given for you. Let us together eat of it in remembrance of him. And now for those of you that have the you can peel the, the top off the, the juice. What an interesting sound. And after the bread, Jesus took the cup, and when he thanked the Father for it, he passed it to each of them and said, This is the blood of the new covenant poured out for the forgiveness of your sins. Let us drink of it now in remembrance of him.
How great a salvation you have given us, God. Your grace overwhelms our sin. Your death on the cross bought us forgiveness. Your resurrection from the tomb opened the way to life. And today, Lord, we come to celebrate, to remember, to rejoice. And Lord, we come to be renewed. We walk out in a world that is so often just flooded by sin. And sometimes, Lord, we find ourselves caught up in it. We thank you, Lord, that Jesus died not for a part of our sins, but for all our sins. And that we are forgiven. But we pray, Lord, that because of what he has done for us, that from this moment on, we will renew our commitment to follow, to pursue holiness, to pursue godliness, to become more like Jesus daily in our attitude and our actions. And we pray this today in the name of our Savior Jesus. Amen.